Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. It's Fixed Shorts with Richard and Jim. Solutions podcast in 15 minutes or less. So, Jim, I feel we're kind of out of fashion at the moment. Out of political fashion, you mean? Yeah, I'm not talking about that shirt of yours. Well, listen, I've, I've always been out of fashion. <laughs> I'm talking about constructive ideas instead of breaking the China. Much of that anti-NAFTA, no TPP. Uh, TPP is the Trans-Pacific Partnership, the trade deal with Asia, as well as anti-immigration and, and building a wall with Mexico. All that stuff coming from the right is against progress. It's as if the right wants to tear up what we've learned over the last 100 okay, years. Okay, we're not even 30 seconds into the show, but I'm already, I'm ready, already ready to argue back. back. The, um, the anti-free trade, anti-immigration is not coming from what has traditionally been known as the right. It's not, certainly not coming from mainstream Republicans. It's coming from this new thing that Trump discovered and energized, which is more like the angry middle. But, it, but for now, Trump has taken over the Republican Party. So we think that the time is now to talk about the mostly positive roles played by both immigration and global trade which are taking hard knocks in our political conversations. So we start with Peter Coy, economics editor of Bloomberg Businessweek, who visited us last year on episode 28. One of the prizes, one of the treasures of democracy is freedom of thought, freedom of action, freedom of, of movement, and that in uh, putting up walls, we actually lose what we treasure the most. And we actually could cause more harm. So I spoke to Ellie Berman. He's a terrorism expert and an economist. He said, look, terrorists thrive on distance. They benefit when, say, the Muslims living in Paris become more alienated from the Catholics and Protestants and the secular you know, people of Paris. And if you go along and, and you end up playing into their hands by creating deeper and deeper divisions. One thing that I really like in his point is he's talking about the connection between being economically free and being politically free. Too often, I think, people on the far left forget that if you don't have economic freedom, eventually you're also restricting people's freedom of everything else in their lives. And, and then that has now been picked up by Donald Trump and his supporters and, and, and Steve Bannon. And, and they have this fallacy, I think, that you can't grow the pie, that it's all about how you slice the pie. There's this fallacy that there's only a certain number of jobs in an economy. And if you take one, somebody else won't have one. Right. In fact, if you create a job, 
it creates income that allows people to spend more, and then there's more people can have jobs, and it's it's actually a positive upward cycle, not a we, not we'll a negative. Explain one. how that works. Okay, look. Give me an example. Okay, example is there are unlimited wants. That's a basic economic concept. And, and the e- economics is all about satisfying those wants. If you can create some good or service that people will buy, well, they will use some of the money you receive, you will in turn spend on satisfying your wants, and that's how economies progress, and on we go. Well, I, I, there, there are a whole bunch of examples I can think of. One, I, I live in New York, at nail salons. I mean, the, ah. the Asian immigration especially from countries like Taiwan mm-hmm. and and South Korea there i mean gosh boy has there been a lot of demand created for for yeah. crazy great things nails. you didn't know you needed but now you can't live without and then ethnic food too well and it's really interesting how often industries come along you know there was a big boom in the 90s and aughts for granite countertops all of a sudden these industries started popping up all over the country to install these granite countertops that wasn't a business before and and i think this is what you're saying is something that's often overlooked especially on the left is this idea the economy's a pie mm-hmm. and it's government's job to figure out how thin to make the slices exactly that's as, the problem instead of something that's constantly growing and where you know sometimes a more hands-off approach will actually help it grow more and do more to help the people at the bottom wait i, did, I just jump in here because this is a really important point one of the people who saw my article uh, said that I was espousing leftist rhetoric. I said, wait a minute. Free migration was always a, a conservative argument. It's a libertarian yeah. idea. Yeah. <laughs> uh, up until like maybe the 2016 presidential race, that was the mainstream thinking. It was the, it was the union-backed Democrats who were more against immigration. Our guest is Peter Coy, economics editor of Bloomberg Businessweek, who argues that immigration, especially legal immigration of skilled workers, is, is a plus for the economy. If all those immigrants came in and did nothing but sit on welfare, then it would be a big negative. But that's not what happens. In fact, in most cases, they work at at least as high rates as the native-born public. Um, second, they're doing a lot of the jobs that uh, native-born workers don't want to do. That's at the bottom. At the top, we also bring in a lot of doctors and scientists. And entrepreneurs. <laughs> but take a look at any science fair contest or a spelling bee or something and see how many of the people are, are either born abroad or are children of fresh immigrants. These people are really adding a lot to the American economy. Let even take a look at the list of most successful CEOs, uh, Google, for example. You know, the idea that we would cut ourselves off from that, do we really want to be North Korea? I do want to make one point about, you mentioned the importance of legal immigration. One thing we're seeing a lot in the media and we see a lot on the left is this very convenient elision of... What? uh, One thing we see a lot in the media and a lot on the left is this very convenient bundling together of legal and illegal immigration. When people who are more conservative specifically say they're concerned about illegal immigration and then people answer, but we're all descended from immigrants. Our country was built by immigrants. That's not responding to the actual point. But the thing that really bugs me about the right is the snarling, mean-spirited way that they talk about immigration. They don't point out that many new immigrants are really crucial for our economy. So you feel there are two main drivers of economic growth? Yeah, the increase in a country's labor force and the increase in productivity. 
And the main point I make in the book is that whereas we don't know what to do about the decline in productivity, what's very apparent and underappreciated is the major drop-off we've seen in the world's working-age population growth rate. That after growing at 2% a year for much of post-war history, over the last decade, that growth rate has dropped by a full percentage point. And I think that is a major drag on global economic growth currently. A drag not only in the United States and developing nations, but elsewhere. Elsewhere as well, yes. Right now, we're seeing a big backlash against immigration in the U.S., but you're an advocate for legal immigration, Yeah, I mean, my entire point here is that if you look at countries such as Canada and Australia, that these countries were able to to use immigration in a very useful way to try and counter their demographic challenges and then have been able to grow and become more important economies on the back of a successful immigration policy. So they did that to increase the workforce and that helps improve growth. Yes, absolutely. So here's something that's interesting, Richard. Yes, immigration definitely grows the economic pie. I'm a free market guy. I'm in favor of immigration. But we also have to recognize a different thing. Not only does it drive down high levels of of low-skill immigration, drive down wages at the bottom end of the economy, it also – who yields the benefit of all this immigration? So the economy is growing. Well, if you own a factory and you can hire a lot of very low – Uh, cost, low-wage workers, because of a flood of immigration. You you might be able to grow your factory, grow your business, and you get to keep a lot of the money. Um, This benefit might be good for the new immigrants. It might be good for you. But again, for the native-born lower class or working class, it's not necessarily good. And we also need to weigh the issue of, of skilled versus unskilled. People who come here with a specific skill, perhaps they should be closer to the front of the line than right. folks who have no skills. And domestically, let's say you're a high school dropout. Let's say you grew up in the inner city. The best way to learn a skill is get a job. We need to give these people a chance. And I do think that uh, that has to be factored into the immigration debate. And if we have very large levels of immigration, there's no question that there will be a pushback and we will have more Donald Trumps and, and probably worse in the future. Rashir Sharma says that, that, in fact, Trump's push for more protectionism, for building a wall and immigration restrictions is part of, of not just a trend in this country, but a global trend. There are three aspects to globalization, and all three of them we have seen a major turn. One is increasing share of trade in the global economy. Right. Historically, trade grew faster than the global economy. But this decade, we've seen trade grow slower. Trade has been contracting, and that's never happened outside of a global recession. So trade flows have fallen. The number of protectionist measures that countries are taking has gone up everywhere from India to China to the United States. Then we have capital flows too. Banks are much less willing to lend across borders than they were last decade because of all the problems they're facing at home. And then third, very interestingly, immigration flows have fallen. So the world is getting less interconnected on these classical parameters. So you're saying countries are turning inward? Yes, countries are turning inward and more nationalistic in this post-crisis era. Does that worry you? Yeah, I think that these are trends which help the global economy. The buzzword this decade is likely to be deglobalization. 
because of these trends. So Sharma is basically saying that growth will come from having a bigger workforce. And he has some specific ideas about how to promote that. One is to raise the number of women in the workforce. And, and that may not be an issue in this country, but it certainly is in, in some other countries. Also to raise the retirement age because people live so much longer than they used to. And again, back to the immigration thing, he's a fan of increased immigration. But fixing the economy is not just about growth. Inequality is a, is a big problem with the largest growth in income going to the very top, not to the middle class, certainly in, in the past two decades. In episode 81, Rana Faruhar, who's now with the Financial Times, argues against the financialization of the economy. She says Wall Street is too powerful. The rise of finance has actually eaten the rest of the economy. Finance controls the rest of industry. Finance has become the tail that wags the dog. And actually, if you look out across you know, the transportation business, the manufacturing sector, the retail sector, all of these industries now get about five times as much revenue from moving money around as they did in the 1980s. So increasingly, everybody wants to be a banker. It's considered to be the very top of the sort of economic pyramid. So if only 15% of the money that goes into the financial system actually comes back into the real economy, what's happening to the rest of it? I'm basically counting anything outside of finance as the real economy, which is a pretty broad base, let's face it. And if only 15% of the money is trickling back in, that's that's not a lot. Right, right. You, you tell the story of how Apple has subtly changed in the years since Steve Jobs' death. Apple has increasingly functioned like a bank. If you look at the way in which they are issuing tons and tons of debt on the U.S. markets at very low interest rates, using that then to pay back shareholders in the form of stock buybacks, dividend payments. They're basically just handing money back to investors. And these are investors that in many cases had nothing to do with the founding of the company. I mean, Apple hasn't actually had to raise money on the public markets to fund its operating costs since the 1990s. Essentially, what it does now is it uses its value to bid up the share price, to enrich the top 20% of the population that owns 80% of all the assets. Meanwhile, and this was an issue in the election, it's holding about $200 billion overseas in bank accounts because it doesn't want to move that money back to the U.S. and pay the corporate tax rate. So, you know, this is just a great example of a financialized economy that creates the kind of populist rage, frankly, that we've seen in the last election cycle and this disconnect between Wall Street and Main Street. Rana kind of brushes over it there, but one thing that she does mention briefly that Donald Trump's in favor of that may well help the economy is a lower corporate tax rate because our rate is is much higher in this country than it is in many other places. And a lot of large multinational corporations are just simply keeping their money overseas, not using it here because of that tax rate. Yeah. High corporate taxes are often politically popular because they think, why not make those big, bad corporations pay it all? But corporations don't really pay taxes themselves. It all comes out from either their customers, their workers, or their investors. We've certainly been critical of Donald Trump on this show, and almost everybody I know uh, doesn't like the guy. But one thing that I think it's worth leaving people with is something that isn't talked about a lot, and that is that if the economy is strong and continues to grow while he's in office, he's likely to be reelected. Well, we'll see. You know, even though people may not like him, the majority of people, they'll probably vote for him if... They've got a better job as a result. 
But on the other hand, the president can do things to screw up the economy. And I think that throwing around ideas of massive new taxes on goods coming into the country, thinking that all the job losses can be stopped just by calling up CEOs and chewing them out for building a factory overseas, that's not the way the economy works. And there's certainly going to be a huge fight in the Republican Party on just those matters. We'll see. I have to see how it turns it'll be out. Real, it'll be interesting. We'll revisit it. It's Fix It Shorts. I'm Richard Davis. And I'm Jim Meggs. Thanks for joining us. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. This Mother's Day, treat mom to healthy, glowing skin with Osea's limited-edition skincare sets. Osea has been making clean, seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. Their advanced eye care duo brightens and firms skin around your eyes, while the Golden Glow Body Trio nourishes and smooths skin all over. Go to oseamalibu.com and use code MOM for 10% off your first order site-wide.